Welcome to the Peckway Church Podcast. We're glad you're here. At Peckway, our mission is to transform lives by connecting people with God and with each other. It's our hope that this message will give you hope and encourage you to take the next step in your journey with Christ. For more information about our services and weekly ministries, visit us at peckwaychurch.com. It's so great to see you all here today. Let's worship the Lord as we praise Him for His goodness, for everything He's done. Praise is a weapon, the song says. So let's worship Him put our troubles away today as we do that. Let praise be a weapon that silences the enemy. Let praise be a weapon that conquers all anxiety. Break the 
praise this morning. He is worthy of our praise. Go ahead and have a seat. It's so great to see you all here this morning. Thank you so much for being a part of Peckway Church and, uh, and being here. If you're a first-time guest, thank you so much for coming out this morning and being a part of our service, whether you're in person or online. Inside of your bulletin, you're going to find a great connection card. I'm going to invite you to take that out. Go ahead and fill that out anytime during today's service. Um, online, you're going to find a connect link as well that you can fill out our digital connection card. But with that card, it's uh, just a very simple way for us to be able to connect with you if you have any questions about Peckway Church or if you'd like to put a prayer request. We would love to pray along with you and trust God for whatever it is that you're praying about for you and your situation. And I'm going to take a moment to breathe because that last song had a lot of energy, so I'm out of breath. But uh, yeah, it's so great that you have been here, maybe for this whole series, if maybe this is your first time. It's okay wherever you're jumping in this morning with us on this sermon series that we've been talking about 40 days of community. I don't know about you guys. If you've been involved in a small group, I hope it's been a great experience for you. I know for uh, me, myself, and and our small group, I've really enjoyed getting to know the people that have been a part of that and the community that we've created uh, as we've gone deeper in God's word and with just in our relationships with one another. And uh, I think I failed to tell you, if you're also a first-time guest, you can simply take out your cell phone and you can text the word hello to 717-872-5679 again. And I think maybe we can flash it up on the screen there, but it's uh, hello to 717-872-5679. And again, just a simple way that we can connect with one another. Maybe you have questions about this series that we've been going through. You can text that to us. We can get you connected with any of the resources that we have or any past messages. Well, today's sermon, we're going to be talking about generosity. We're going to be talking about money and giving and generosity. I know those can be challenging topics for us. Sometimes they make us a little uncomfortable to talk about. Uh, But God has a plan to bless us and others when we're faithful to follow his commands. And God, uh, he owns everything, right? Uh, But, you know, when we tithe, we're simply giving back to God, and uh, what he's already given to us, because it's already his. And so when we begin to live out this truth, um, that's when God works through our finances to glorify himself. You know, so many times um, we can learn things from children, whether we're teaching our own children, maybe you've taught in school, maybe uh, you've taught your nieces or nephews, but I think that we can learn very uh, important principles about giving. And maybe you have some of the same questions that we're gonna see as we watch this video together, but this young child and her dad, the questions that she asks him about giving. Okay, maybe we need to go over this one more time. Do we have to? Well, sweetie, I don't know if you're getting a good grasp of the ratios here. Fine. Okay, all right, step by step. Before we spend any money, what's the first thing that we do? Give to God. Good, and why do we do that? Because he first loved and gave to us. Good, 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 good. Okay, great. Now the second jar here is for so many different things. Hold on. What? God lives in heaven, right? Yeah, he lives in heaven. And heaven has streets paved with gold, right? Streets paved with gold, sure, yes. So why does he need my money if I don't even have a job? (laughs) Okay, all right, so good question. So basically when we give to God, we're we're giving to the church. 
So the church gives the money to God? No, the church keeps the money. Oh, does God know about this? <laughs> yes, he uh, basically built the system, yeah. Okay, good. Okay. See, sweetie, as you grow up, there is nothing better than giving back to God. In the Bible, it's the only place God says, test me on this. When it comes to your money, he says, test me. It's almost like he's saying, I dare you. And your mom and I, we do just that. Even when things are tough, we always give the first part of our money back to God. And then the church takes that money and does all kinds of things to make God famous, uh, like camps and mission trips and even VBS that you love so much, and even helps out people that are in need. You can't outgive God. And when God says test and you do it, he will come through every single time. Okay, Dad, I get it. I do have one question, though. Oh, okay. Why do we need to test God if he already knows all the answers? That's, that's good. Let me just retrace my steps here just for a minute. And that is one of the most challenging things, right? Not only to be stumped by your uh, maybe four-year-old, but also just the challenge to give. And I know for me personally, whenever I started tithing, when I started giving to the Lord and during those college years when it was really tight, you didn't have a lot of money, but God asked us to step out in faith and to trust him. And when I did, he always was faithful to me. He always, always had what I needed. I was able to pay my bills. I was able to put gas in my car and those kind of things. So I challenge you today as we hear this message about our finances that you would, that you would, God as he dares you, that you would take that dare today and you would step up to his challenge. And I promise you, he'll bless you. Would you stand once again? We're going to talk about or sing about how it's a battle sometimes, right? Maybe that's the battle today as we're facing the challenge of tithing in our finances. Let's worship him and trust him today. When all I see is the battle, you see my victory. There's nothing to fear. 
fighting our battles. There's another song. We're not singing it today, but it, it talks about that when it, we're surrounded, it seems, what we're surrounded by is Jesus, actually. When we have him, when we have the Holy Spirit leading and guiding us, and this is a quick side note, but just recently I was reminded, you know, when we try to do things in our own strength, in our own power, we're going to fail. But what makes us different when we come to Christ, when we know him, is that we have the power of the Holy Spirit. And we no longer have to be a slave to sin, but we have the power to choose to do what God is calling us to through his power, through his spirit filling us. So I encourage you once again to let him have whatever battle it is, but go to him and ask him for the strength of the Holy Spirit today. And that's just one of the many good things that we can sing about today about God. But now we're going to sing about his goodness as we continue singing together. Your mercy never fails me All my days I've been held in your hands From the moment that I wake up Until I lay my head I will see of the goodness of God All my life you 
Father, you are worthy of all the praise that we could give. God, we thank you for, for the opportunity to be in your house today. Lord, as we come to this moment where we study your word, where we hear, God, what you say, Father, today about why you want us to give, why you want us to be generous. God, one of the reasons I know for sure is that you are so generous. You're generous to us. Even when we don't know it, God, you are the ultimate giver. Giving your son for us and Jesus, you giving your life for us. Loving us even when we're unlovely. So, Father, I pray that through these songs today that our hearts have been quickened to you, that you've stirred something within us today, Father, whether it's uh, stirring up within us that we need to walk closer with you or we need to start a relationship with you, whatever it might be today, Father, through the power of your Holy Spirit, will you move in this place and have your will in your way? And I pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Thank you, Scott. Thank you, worship team, really for reminding us of the motive for our giving. It really is the fact that the best way I could say it, and we'll come back to that throughout the message, but the best way I know to say that, we give because God the Father and God the Son first gave to us. That's, that's the reason we're to live a life of generosity. Let me just begin by saying welcome to those who are joining us for the very first time online here in the service. And let me just bring you up to speed. We are in week six of 40 Days of Community. And what we've been doing through this series has been focusing on two primary things. The first primary thing is this, to deepen not our sense, but our experience of community within our church family. And the second thing we've been trying to do and focusing on doing is deepening our compassion for the community around this church by reaching out to them and sharing the good news with them about the love of Jesus, the, the great hope that we just sang about. Now, I shared early on in the series, I think it was the first week in this series, I share with you that the Greek word koinonia is typically, typically translated as fellowship. And most of us, if you've been around the church, you've heard the word koinonia and you've equate it with fellowship. But what I didn't share with you is that's not the only way the word's translated. In fact, there are a few other ways the word is typically translated depending on context. For example, the word sometimes is translated participation. It's sometimes translated contribution. And sometimes, as we're going to see today, is what we're going to focus today, sometimes it's translated generosity, all based on the context of the passage. But here's the reason I share that to you, folks. The reality is, what we need to understand is we cannot have fellowship, or in the context of this series, we cannot have community without those other three elements. In other words, for us to truly experience biblical fellowship, more than socializing, more than eating together, studying together, if we're going to have biblical fellowship, then there has to be participation. In other words, the best way I can say participation is presence. That we need to be present to one another. We need to show up and be with one another. And so we've encouraged you these six weeks to participate in a small group. We encourage you at the start of the series to participate in being present in these service because that's part of building community. It's an essential element of community. To quote that great theologian Woody Allen, 90% of life is just showing up. So the reality is we need to participate if we're going to have 
fellowship. We're going to have community. But that's not all. We need to make a contribution. And we've been talking about that in the third message of the series. We talked about how we use our gifts, our abilities. Pastor Chris talked to you about it last week. How do we take this shape, these spiritual gifts, these abilities, these passions, the experience in life, and use them not only to honor God, but to bless and help others? And part of fellowship is that whole sense of contribution. And the final sense of it is, folks, generosity. That I have to be giving to you. I have to be sharing my resources, my talents, everything and anything that I have, as we're going to see in a few moments. And you need to be willing to do the same with me as a community, as a fellowship. If we're going to truly live into what God tells us to do, we have to be generous. Now, let me be honest with you. Scott said earlier, and I, I agree with him, but let me nuance a little bit. Scott said these kind of messages sometimes are difficult to hear, and many pastors will tell you they're very difficult to preach. And what I would say to you, honestly, since early this morning, I've been looking forward to this message. And here's the reason why. Because I'm absolutely convinced that this message holds the potential to lift the lid in some of our lives. You see, the reality is some of us have gone in our Christian journey and say, you know what, I feel like something's missing. Or maybe in our fellowship, our sense of community, I feel like something's missing. I don't know what it is. And we often look, when we feel that way, to external forces, things beyond us. But I want to tell you what we're going to see today is that sense of community, that, that, that lid that we seem to have on that experience, whatever that experience is of community or fellowship, is within our control. That there's things that we can do, things that God has designed that you and I can do, that when we do them, we can deepen our fellowship we can increase our sense of community. And I say that because the interesting thing, I, I've been a pastor for a long time now, one of the things I, I'm interested in, and this is why I know generosity is a spiritual issue, because when we don't feel a sense of fellowship, when we don't feel a sense of community, the irony is, and I think it's a spiritual reality, is that we move in the opposite direction of doing the things that I'm going to share with you that build community. And so rather than participating, what do we do? We, we withdraw. Instead of contributing, instead of using our gifts and abilities, we, we don't engage. And instead of giving, we, we tend to hold back our finances. The reality is the very things that often build community, God designed to build community, build fellowship, are things when we don't sense it, we pull back from. And in the reality is we ultimately experience frustration about the very thing we want the most. And so I'm saying to you, this message today, please take notes. Please pay attention because I believe for some of us, it's going to lift the lid on our discipleship. For the first time in our life, we're going to feel like, I get it now. I see what's been missing. The other thing it's going to do for some of us, it's going to affirm us. Not that we need the affirmation, but I believe some of us are going to hear because we've been doing the things that I'm going to share with you today, that you're going to hear from God in your spirit, well done, good and faithful servant. It's going to make sense to you. That's why I feel like I have such a deep sense of community. That's why I feel like I have such great fellowship with those in my small group or those in this church family, because you're doing these things, perhaps intuitively by the leadership of the Spirit, but you're doing it. But let, as I said, folks, fellowship, biblical fellowship requires participation. It requires contribution, and it requires generosity. We've looked at the others in this series, so today I want to look at this issue of generosity. And let me just kick us off by sharing with you, very, at the very top of your outline, three verses where this word koinonia is translated as generosity. Let me just read them to you quick. The first one is from Hebrews chapter 13, verse 16. The, the Hebrew writer says this, Don't forget to help others and to share your possessions with them. 
And I want you to underline that phrase, share your possessions. Because that phrase is actually the one Greek word, and I say Greek word because that's what the New Testament was written in, the Koine Greek, that share your possessions is literally koinonia. That's what it means. Take a look at the next one. Paul wrote this to the Corinthians. They begged us, speaking of the Macedonians, we're going to come back to this verse, they begged us to let them have the joy of giving their money for God's people. Underline that phrase, the joy of giving. Again, it's the word koinonia, the joy of giving. And some of you know that joy. Many of you know that joy. And finally, to his apprentice, to the young Timothy, Paul wrote this, be generous and willing to share. And again, underline that phrase, willing to share. That is the Greek word koinonia. Now here's the point. I've already made it. I'm going to make it one more time. Folks, we cannot have community, biblical community. We cannot experience biblical fellowship if we don't also have generosity. If we're not givers, we don't give to one another, we don't give to others in order to serve the kingdom, to share, to be stewards of the resources God has given us. And so before we end 40 Days of Community, we need to talk about generosity. And here's how I want to do it. You know, folks, this is simply what I want to share with you is the reasons for being generous. I want to talk to you about the benefits that we saw some of that in, in the video, and he was trying to help his little girl understand that. I'm hoping today I can help you understand, grab hold of the real benefits of living a generous life. That God didn't simply do it, and I absolutely disagree with anyone that says, God needs our money, that's why we need to tithe. Everything belongs to God. And so we need to understand that the reason God calls us to give is not because God is a little short this month. God calls us to be givers, because what it does to us, what it makes possible in our lives, what it makes possible for the kingdom of God in other people's lives. So let's just get started. Here's the first reason, seven specific reasons why God wants you and I to live a generous life. And the first reason is because it creates community. The very thing we're talking about this series, it creates community. Take a look, and we're going to keep coming back to 2 Corinthians. Those of you who know Paul know he had a lot to say to the Corinthians in the second letter because he was raising, collecting, and offering to help the poor. And so he says a lot about generosity in this second letter, but take a look what he writes in chapter 9. He says, your generosity not only provides for the needs of God's people, but also produces prayers of thanksgiving. So Paul's saying two things happen when we're generous. The first thing, and a very practical thing, he says the needs of people are met. And that's an important, very important part of what we're to do. We are to care for the poor. We are to care for those in need. But there's a spiritual reality that goes on here as well. Paul says not only are the needs, the practical needs of people's lives met, but something spiritual happens. And that something spiritual is praise and thanks is given to God. And the reason he says that's significant, the reason we need to understand that, is what he's saying here is, folks, when we give, when we live a generous life, people thank God for that generosity. They thank God for their needs being met. And that sense of gratitude draws us together. That sense of appreciation that God used us to meet a need in another person's life, to need a need in the community, creates gratitude, and that draws us together. Now, this is no surprise to you, but Jesus obviously understood that, and that's why he said this in Matthew chapter 6. He says, your heart will be wherever your treasure is. Now, I don't know about you, but before I was a follower of Jesus, before I ever read that verse, I'd like to tell myself it was the other way around. That where I put my money had no effect on my heart. It was no reflection of what my priorities were. But Jesus says, that's not right, Jerry. Jesus wants us to understand that my 
treasures, where I put my time, where I put my money, where I put my resources and talents is a magnet for my heart. My heart gravitates to where I put my money. And so, folks, that's, that's what we need to understand, but let's net this out practically. In other words, let's say we want to develop a heart for people struggling with cancer. Based on what Jesus said, you know what we do? We, we begin to give to cancer research. We begin to serve people who are in cancer treatments. And guess what happens? Our heart increasingly moves toward those folks. Our heart increasingly has a greater capacity for care and concern for those. Same way, we want to develop a heart for the working poor. What do we do? Well, I would encourage you, and we have opportunities to do that, I would say volunteer at Water Street Mission. Begin to see lives and people firsthand who are trying to make it and can't make it. And then give your resources to, to places like Water Street Mission. And guess what's going to happen? Your heart capacity for the poor is going to increase. Same way, folks, you want to increase your heart for your own church friends. The best way to do it is begin, as we said in the second week, start throwing Matthew parties. Fund them. Attend them. Be a part of them. And guess what? As you begin to spend time investing and in building bridges of friendship with your unchurched friends and neighbors, your heart increasingly is going to beat what Jesus did, who said, I came to seek and to save those who are lost. And finally, you want to develop a heart for God? It's not, it's not difficult math, folks. Start spending time with God. Increasing time with God. And begin to give to his mission in the world. And guess what? Before long, you're going to have a heart that beats strong and fast for the things of God. That's how it works. Because wherever we put our time, our energy, and our resources, our heart is drawn there. It just naturally gravitates there. So here's the question we have to ask in light of that. Ask yourself this. Don't ask it for someone else. Ask it for yourself. Where is my heart? I mean, just take a second and just ask yourself, where is my heart? Is it, you know, again, and it's going, where am I putting my time? Where am I putting my energy? Where am I putting my talents? Is it in building a business, advancing a career? And there's nothing wrong with that in and of itself. Is it in a hobby? Being close to deer season, that's getting a little close to home. You know, is it in remodeling or updating a home? Is it in sports for your children? Where is your heart, folks? Because I'm telling you, wherever we put our resources, our time, our energy, our passion, our heart will go there. It will be drawn to there. Jesus said that's just the way it works. Now, one of the things I love, if you're not familiar with the book Acts, it's, you need to get familiar with the book Acts, but in the book Acts, we're told that the first Christians were, I don't know the best way to say it, simply say they were famous for their generosity. Absolutely well-known in the community, well-known in, in, in the known world for their generosity. And that's why we read this. Luke tells us the community of believers, that is the Christians, shared everything in common. Now let's net that out. In other words, what we need to understand is they saw themselves as a family. And so what they said, what I have, I'm willing to share with you. Now, again, I remember as a young Christian, I heard people say, and I still hear people say it occasionally, well, you know, so really the, the first Christians were communist. Folks, that isn't communism. Communism is what is mine, is yours, and you're going to take it. That, that's communism. What, what we have here is we have Christian community. Christian community says what my, what's mine is God's, and I'll share it with you. I'll let you use it. I'll make it available to you. I'll give it to you if necessary. That's Christian community. And that's what the believers had. The very first Christians weren't communists. 
They were Christians. It was a community that says what's mine is God's and therefore we'll share it. Now, let's, let's bring that home because we all understand it. Most of us are parents here or, we, or our kids may be grown like mine, but we're parents. And I don't know about you, but one of the primary things Lara and I tried to teach our three kids was to share. Did most of you, all of you try to do that, teach your children to share? And, and when you did and they actually did it, how did you feel? Awesome, right? Awesome. Why? Because you're realizing my child, my son, my daughter, my children are learning to act contrary to the fallen human nature. In other words, my children are learning to be unselfish. My children are learning to be generous. Now, here's the reason I share that. God is a more loving, perfect father than you and I, more loving, perfect mother than you and I. In other words, God responds in the same way when he sees you and me share, when he sees you and me act in generous ways. He says, that's my boy. That's my girl. His doing, she's doing exactly what I wanted them to do, exactly what I taught them to do to build community. And so the first reason God wants us to be generous, the first benefit we get from being generous, living a generous life, is it creates community. We don't have to hope for it. We can begin to create it with our generosity. The second reason God wants us to be generous, and the second benefit for us, is it defeats materialism. It defeats materialism. Now, you don't have to raise your hand on this, but can, can we agree that we live in a materialistic culture in America? Can we agree on that? I don't know if anyone would disagree with me. If you truly do, see me after the service. And I don't mean that in a kind of smart way. I'm just saying, help me understand how you see it. I'd like to see it different. But here's the reason I say that. In light of our culture, I think our cultural model from where I stand is get all you can, can all you get, and sit on the can. I mean, that's basically how we approach material things. And as a result of that, folks, because of this materialistic culture we live in, it's incredibly difficult for everyone, even Christians, to live a generous life. Just out of curiosity this week, I decided to do a little research, folks, and what I found on some statistics were, were just amazing to me. And I share these because I wasn't aware of this until this week, and maybe you weren't as well, but... Folks, they, they tell us this whole issue of living the generous life, even Christians struggle with it, is that they tell us that during the Great Depression, Christians were more generous to the mission of God than we are today. Can you believe it? I know for some of us, I mean, most, probably none of us here were alive at that time, but the reality is, so that's our parents, our grandparents, through the Great Depression. And what to me is most alarming about that when I read that is that stat was reported in 2010, a decade before where we're at right now in the great, if you will, recession. And so it isn't just because of economic times. From over a decade now, our, our great-grandparents, our grandparents, or maybe for some of us, our parents, were more generous to the mission of God. Here's another stat I'll probably come back to again. blew me away because I had a suspicion. I said, I, I'm just going to test to see if this is right. Over 55% of all the wealth in the world is controlled by Christians. 55% of all the wealth in the world is controlled by Christians. Now you think about that when we talked last week, if you hear about the fact that we say, God, in light of all the need, in light of the hunger, in light of the poverty, in light of the lack of education, why don't you do something? You remember what I said to you? God says to us, why don't you do something about it? 55% of the world's wealth is held by us. And I couldn't find the stat, but I suspect probably the statistic of that 55%, we in America probably have 65, 75% of that wealth at least. 
Folks, the reality is we live in a materialistic culture, and the challenge even for us Christians is to be generous. And so I say that to say this, not to beat us up, but just go, Jerry, you need to hear this. And I hope some of you are saying the same, I need to hear this. Here's the reality. God's call to generosity needs to be heard today by Christians. And here's why I say it, because in the sea of selfishness, I believe God wants the church to be an island of generosity. And you say, why do you believe that, Jerry? Because I believe when God, God through His people can be a generous people, and the value of the kingdom is giving, then the, the value of this world was getting is seen in stark contrast. And people are able to choose. People are under, able to see the difference that God makes in our life. But again, I want to be honest with you folks. It's tough for you. It's tough for me to live into that kingdom value in a culture that celebrates getting over giving. It's just tough to do it, which is why I'm saying to you and why we're talking about this, because every time you and I choose to live a life of giving instead of getting, we win a spiritual victory. And that spiritual victory ultimately breaks the grip, begins to break the grip in your life and mine of materialism. That's why Jesus said this. He said, you cannot serve both God and money. Now, what's interesting to me about that verse is Jesus didn't say you shouldn't. He said we couldn't. And the reason he said we couldn't is because it's impossible to have two number ones in your life or mine. It's impossible to have two number ones in your life and mine. And so we need to ask ourselves, is God and giving or money and material things number one in my life? Because here's what I know, folks. When, when we make God and giving number one in our life, then God's Word tells us it creates community, the thing we all long for. And it defeats materialism, something in our heart of hearts we all really don't want to be in the grip of. But there's a third reason, a third benefit when we're generous. We live a generous life, and that's it strengthens our faith. It strengthens our faith. Paul wrote this, Your giving proves the reality of your faith. Now again, think about that. Of all the things Paul could have chosen to say it proves our faith, he said it was our giving. He didn't say it was our prayer life. He didn't say it was our devotional life. He didn't say it was our Bible study, Bible reading. He didn't say it was our fellowship. He said the thing that proves our faith is our giving. Now let's lean into that. Why would he say that? I'll tell you why I believe Paul said that based on experience, based on biblical study. Because our giving ultimately reveals how, how much or how little I trust God's character and God's promises. My giving reveals, do I truly trust that God will do what He said He would do and be who He said He would be? Let me tell you a, a true story about a man by the Bob, name of Bob McEwen. Some of you have heard this story in different contexts, but it first happened with Bob. Bob decided one day out of love and generosity to take his little boy to McDonald's to get uh, some French fries. And Bob said on the way home, they smelled so good in the car that he just reached over and he took just one of them, just one of them, and he ate it. Well, his little boy was not happy. His little boy said, Daddy, don't do that. These are mine. Bob said, immediately I had three thoughts. He said, my first thought was, my son does not realize that I am the source of all French fries in his life. He does not realize that, I mean, after all, I drove him to McDonald's, I placed the order at McDonald's, I bought the fries at McDonald's, and now I'm driving him home for McDonald's. My son does not realize that the only reason he has fries is because of me, the great fry giver. 
Number two, he said, my son does not realize that I could take every one of those fries away from me if I wanted to. Or I could download him with a truckload of fries if I wanted to. I have the resources to do it. I could buy him, I could smother him in French fries. He said, finally, I realized my son doesn't realize that I don't need his fries. Back to the video clip you saw, I don't need his fries. I have the resource and the ability that if I wanted, I could have a hundred boxes of fries myself. I don't need my boy's fries. What I want, or more accurately what I desire, is for my son to be unselfish, for my son to learn to be generous. And folks, go back to that video clip if you were going, yeah, why does God need my money? God doesn't need your money. God is saying to you the same thing Bob McEwen is thinking and saying to his son. God is saying to you, what I want you, what I need from you is you, for you to realize that I am the source of every good thing in your life. Life itself, the ability to make money, the ability to retain money, everything good in your life, I've been the source of it. Number two, I want you to realize that it's within my power to take it away or double it instantly. I could bury you in blessings if that's my choice. And finally, God wants us to learn that, again, he doesn't need our fries. Because everything, everything is his. Instead, what he wants, what he desires for you and me is to learn to be generous. His desire in all of this is for learn, learn you and I to learn not to be selfish. Now, having said that, let me ask the question, so what happens when we learn that lesson? What happens when we learn to be less selfish and more generous? Well, Paul tells us. And again, let's go back here because Paul continues to help us understand, again, in 2 Corinthians, especially chapters 8 and 9, he says this, God is able to make up to you make it up to you by giving you everything you need and plenty left over to give joyfully to others. And that sounds like a God who's broke. Again, God doesn't need our resources. What, what Paul wants us to understand, what he desperately wants us to get hold of, folks, is that God doesn't need our resources. What, instead, what God wants us to do is to learn to be generous. And here's why. Because God is looking for people who will say to him, God, use me. Use my resources, use my gifts, use my life to bless other people. And the reason God is looking for men and women like that is because typically, human nature, left to ourselves, left to ourselves, when we get something, what do we want to do? We want to hold on to it. We want to keep it. We don't want to pass it along. So when God finds a man, God finds a woman, God finds a child who is willing to be a conduit for blessing in other people's lives, he will bless them in abundance and do amazing things in their life. But here's what I would tell you. The most amazing thing he will do is he will deepen our faith and he will create a stronger and deeper character in your life and mine, folks. And so we need to understand that the third benefit to you and to me of being a generous person is it strengthens our faith. It makes us more like Jesus. It makes us more like God the Father. The fourth reason God wants us to be generous, the fourth benefit in your life and mine to being generous is because it's an investment for eternity. It's an investment for eternity. Jesus said this. He said, use your worldly resources to benefit others. In this way, your generosity stores up a reward for you in heaven. Now, group participation time. If you're not comfortable with it, that's okay. You don't have to participate. But I, as many of you, how many of you have ever heard the, the expression, you can't take it with you? Hopefully not at a funeral. 
But right? I mean, we've all heard the expression, and I'll be honest with you, I don't think I've ever used it, but I get the sentiment behind it. In other words, what we're trying to say to people is, you know, don't give out of your, your, your abundance or your surplus. Give, give until it's sacrificial. And so I, I get that spirit, and I even affirm the spirit, but folks, what I want to say is I would encourage you not to use it just as I don't use it, and here's why, because it completely misses the inherent reality that God's wired into you and me and into giving. Because God says, folks, quite honestly, the reality is giving makes us happy. Giving influences us. Giving it makes a difference. And so, folks, while we can't take it with us, here's the reality. We can't send it on ahead. And the way we send it on ahead to heaven is simply this, by investing in other people. Because people are the only thing we get to take to heaven. That's why you and I will never see a hearse pulling a U-Haul. In fact, some of you know this, but they actually sell suits at funeral homes for, for someone who doesn't have a suit. They want to be buried in a suit. And the only difference between the suits sold at the funeral homes and the ones you get at the retail store is funeral suits don't have pockets. Because you don't need them. You and I are not taking anything with us. And the reality is, take, take a look at this next verse. Paul, Paul told Timothy this. He said, tell the rich... And again, just digress real quickly, and I can't spend long here, folks. That's all of us. I don't care how limited our income is. The reality is, if you're an American, we are in, no matter where your income, we are in the top 5% of all people in the world in terms of wealth. And if you make over $100,000 as a couple, you are in the top 1% of the wealthiest people in the world. We are, by definition, as Americans, wealthy. We are the rich. And so Paul's referring to us when he says, he said, tell the rich to use their money to do good, giving happily to those in need, always being ready to share with others whatever God has given them. By doing this, they will be storing up real treasure for themselves in heaven, the only safe investment for eternity. In today's market, that's worth underlining, the only safe investment for eternity, and they will be living a fruitful Christian life down here as well. What Paul wants us to understand is when you and I use our time, our talents, our resources to bless other people, to further God's kingdom, God sees that as an investment in eternity. God sees that and, and, and he, put, he debits that, if you will, into our heavenly account. And I just want to say this, and I'll move on very quickly given our time, but folks, I know one thing about this church, about many of you in this church, that you are making eternal investments on a regular basis. And I applaud you for that, and I affirm you for that, because every time you do that, not only is materialism being defeated in your life, not only are you creating an experience in greater community, not only is your faith being built, but you are investing in the one thing you can take, and take with you to heaven, and that is other people. And God sees that and is pleased by that. Well, let me give you the fifth reason, moving on quickly. That God wants us to be generous, the fifth benefit, and that is it blesses us in return. It blesses us in return. And here's all I want to say about that. Again, I'm running out of time. The Bible states that over and over and over again. Let me give you one example. This is from Moses in the Old Testament. Moses said this, give generously. He's talking about caring for the poor, the needy in the community. He says, give generously and do so without a grudging heart. Then because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in everything you put your hands to. Now, how many of us would like that to be true in our lives? That God would bless all our work and everything we do. We'd all love that, right? 
That's, that's what Moses is saying God will do. Now, we'd love that, but let me ask you a question, and don't answer out loud, and I want you to think about it. Do you really believe that? See, God says, I will bless you in everything you do, everything you put your hand in, all your work, if you're generous. And folks, again, the reason I ask that is for this reason. In America today, I did the research, there are 247 million people, 247 million people who claim to be a follower of Jesus. And of those 247 million, only 1.5 million tithe, what Scott talked about earlier. In other words, that's less than 1% of the professing individuals. The average, and again, I'm just, these are just stats to go, what do, I, what do we do with that? This is just me sharing, folks. The average gift that the average Christian in America gives who attends church is $17 a week. So I, I say it again, do we believe that verse? See, it's amazing to me. Here's the reason I share that. It's amazing to me. Net this out. It's amazing to me that we as 2.7, 247 million of us will believe God will do what he says to do when he says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us for all unrighteousness and give us a home in heaven. 247 million of us say we believe that. But we're not willing to believe him when he makes financial promises to us. Where's the logic in that? You see, I could believe God for eternal things, but I can't believe God for temporal, physical things. Folks, I'm just saying, it, it, the math doesn't work. And because of that, because the math doesn't work, here's what we experience. Here's where I'm back to community and fellowship. And as a result of that, because we don't believe that, we miss out on being a blessing, God using us to bless others, but we also miss out the blessing God wants to give in our lives in return. Let me give you the sixth reason God wants us to be generous. The sixth benefit in your life and mine is that's because it produces happiness. It produces happiness. Paul's quoting Jesus here. He's speaking to the Ephesians elders. I don't give you time for a lot of context, but he's, he's on his final trip to Jerusalem. And he knows when he goes there, he's going to be arrested and probably die. And he's talking about this whole process to these elders on the beach outside the city of Ephesus. He's talking to them about from the very beginning of his ministry. He has used his gifting, his ability to make tents and worked with his hands to not only provide for himself, but to provide for those who traveled with him and those who are in need. And in that context, this is what he says. He's quoting Jesus, basically saying, and, and guys, the reason we do it is there is more happiness in giving than in receiving. Now let me ask you another question, group participation. Have you ever, and, and, and I've asked you this already before, blemish you, and have you ever heard it said, give until it hurts? You've heard that, right? Give till it hurts. And, and the reality is, as I said, it completely misses that, misses it. So let me ask you this question. Who is happier, takers or givers? Givers, right? Because takers, let me tell you about takers. You, you know this. You, we've experienced this. I know this in my own life when I give into being a taker. Is Takers are miserable all the time because we're always afraid of not only getting more, but keeping what we got. That somehow someone's going to take it from us. We're going to lose it because of the market. So the key to happiness is this, folks. It's being a generous person. That's the key to happiness. It, it, it's learning to be a giver instead of a taker. And the reason is, folks, whenever you and I are a giver, God uses that to meet the needs of others, as Paul talked about. 
And also to move His kingdom forward. And I want to be honest with you, after 30 plus years of being a follower of Jesus and 30 plus years of being a tither, I want to tell you, there is no more exciting or happier way to live. To be used by God, to meet the needs of others, and to move His kingdom forward. Well, let me give you the seventh and final reason. The seventh and final reason God wants us to be generous is it makes us more like Him. And that's the bottom line. God wants us to be givers because He wants us to be like Him. Here's what John wrote. He says, we... We all live off God's generous bounty. Underline that, His generous bounty. Not His generosity, but His generous bounty. Gift after gift after gift. John's points this. God is a giver. A generous, abundant, extravagant giver. And for that reason, the Bible is a book about generosity. And most of us say, well, Jerry, isn't the Bible a book about love? Yeah. But even more so, it's a book about generosity. Let me see if I could show you what I mean by that and why I say that. The word believe is used in the Bible 272 times. And if I ask you why, you probably say, well, because God wants us to believe, right? We could agree with that. Okay, well, guess what? The word prayer in the Bible is used 371 times. Why? God wants us to be a people of prayer. Now, what we most heard and are most familiar with is go, well, okay, the word love in its forms is used 714 times. And we'd all say because God wants us to be people of love. Guess how many times give or forms of giving are used in the Bible? Not 714. Not 1,714. 2,162 times the word give is used in the Bible. Why? Well, based on the logic we just follow, say because God wants us to be a giver. Why? Because God wants us to be like Him. Because God wants us to live a generous life. Now, please hear that, having say that. In this whole process of living a generous life, it is not about the amount, it's about the attitude. It, it, it ultimately is, because here's the reality, folks. Remember, all the fries are God's. So it isn't about the money. God isn't interested in the money. What God is interested in is learning, me learning, you learning to be generous. In other words, to not be selfish. And so hear me. God looks at the size of the sacrifice, not the size of a gift. The reality is, I, Larry and I, given where we're at and the kids are out of the home now, I, Larry and I can make a gift and, and it wouldn't phase us much. And For some of you, it would about break you. And the converse is true. Some of you have done so well financially, you've been great stewards, and I know that. I mean that sincerely. And, and if we, Larry and I tried to give a gift like you could give, it would destroy us financially. It isn't about the amount. It's about the attitude. Take a look at that. That's why Paul said this. If you're really eager to give, if that's what's really your heart motivation, it isn't important how much you're able to give. Now, again, the context that Paul is writing this is challenging the Corinthians to give to an offering they, they were bragging about participating in. They, then they were bulking on, hesitant to give, and his challenging them. And that very first verse we looked at about they begged us was a group of people so poor in Macedonia that Paul tried to talk them out of giving. And yet it says, they begged us for the joy of giving. That's what Paul's talking about here, about it isn't important if I'm really eager. What's important isn't, isn't the ability to give, it's the heart to give. That's also why he wrote this, You're, you will glorify God through your generous gifts. Again, why? Because generosity, please write this down, generosity is an attitude, it's not an amount. 
And that's why just a few verses earlier, Paul said this. He said, you must make up your own mind as how much you should give. Don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. Now, out of that, folks, I want to suggest to you that Paul is giving us four guidelines for giving. Again, to these Corinthians who, who promised to participate in an offering to help take care of the poor believers in Jerusalem, and now are balking at it. And he's not trying to shame them, but he's saying, y'all, we need to think about this. So let me give you some guidelines about your giving. He said the first to these reluctant givers, he first said this, you need to give thoughtfully. This isn't about giving impulsively. This isn't about giving emotionally. Paul says this is about thoughtful, prayerful giving. I, I want you to be committed to what you choose to give. The second thing he says, we are to give enthusiastically. What's he telling him? He says, I don't want you to give if you're going to be reluctant. I don't, I don't want you to give because of a sense of obligation or a fear of embarrassment. He says, no, I, I want you to give enthusiastically. In other words, I want you to be eager, just as eager as the Macedonians were to give. I want you to be equally eager to give because of what God means to you and what you know God can do through your giving to help meet the needs of your brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. Third, he says, I want you to give voluntarily. Again, don't feel pressured to give. Don't feel obligated to give. He's saying, I want you to give because you want to give. And folks, let me just say this to you very quickly about voluntarily, and I need to do it quickly. That in no way is this message intended to pressure you to give. I'm not interested in fundraising. What this message is about is about faith raising. Disciple raising. But folks, I want to talk to you. I really believe in light of these benefits that God will speak to every one of us sooner or later, probably sooner than later, about living a generous life. And when God speaks to us, we need to listen because that's not pressure, that's conviction. And we need to listen to that voice and we need to follow His lead because God is saying, I'm calling you to this, not because I need your money, because what it could do in your life, what it could do in other people's lives. And the final way that Paul says we are to give His guidance is we're to give cheerfully. In other words, our giving should lift us up instead of bring us down. In fact, that word literally in the Greek, and this is a lot of Greek at you today, folks, is where we get our word hilarious. It's saying that's how cheerful we are. We should be like belly laughing about this. We should be just excited. And you go, why would we be that cheerful? Because we know the difference that our giving can make in someone else's life. We know the difference it can make in the kingdom. And yet, let's be honest, folks. And, and I really do mean that. Let's be honest. Sometimes, even for me, it's challenging to be a cheerful giver. And you know why? Because we're fallen men and women. You know why? Because this is a spiritual issue. This is an issue that makes us more like God. This is an issue that strengthens our faith. This is an issue that builds community. Now, if we have a spiritual adversary, do you think he wants any of that happening in your life or mine? Absolutely not. He wants to thwart the purposes of God in your life and in this world. And so, folks, we just need to be honest. At times, we will feel challenged because the reality is we live in a materialistic culture and we just want to keep what we get. And I get that. But in those times, I want to remind you, encourage you, that when you are feeling like it's difficult to be a cheerful, voluntary, thoughtful, enthusiastic giver, I want to encourage you. Remember the seven benefits we've talked about. But more than that, would you remember the generosity of Jesus? And what I mean by that is that Jesus, though he was rich in, in the things of God, 
Paul tells us he humbled himself, became a servant unto death, and died on a cross so that you and I could have our sins forgiven, that our past could be cleansed, our present could be empowered, and our future could be secure by a home in heaven. And take a look at these last couple of verses, and I'll wrap it up, and thank you for your patience. Paul wrote this, Remember the generosity of Jesus Christ, the Lord of us all. He was rich beyond our telling, yet he became poor for your sake, so that his poverty might make you rich. And that isn't material, that's spiritual. And Peter, in the very same vein, said this, We are saved because Jesus, out of sheer generosity, moved to save us. What Peter and Paul want us to understand, folks, is this, the only reason any of us are going to heaven the only reason any of us enjoy community and fellowship in the church and in the body, folks, is because Jesus was generous. God the Father and God the Son gave. And so the key to living a generous life for you and for me is remembering that God the Father and God the Son gave. And so, folks, if we want to be like God the Father and God the Son, we need to give too. Let's bow for prayer. Heavenly Father, I just ask that you would take this message, and as I said when I sensed for you this morning, that you would just lift the lids in some people's lives, that you will connect the dots and help them to see that it isn't enough to just participate and contribute, but to experience the community, the fellowship, the depth of relationship with you, the character growth spiritually they want from you, there also must be generosity. Can I invite you to pray something like this? And I know we're past our time, but can I just invite you to pray this? Could you say, God, I know that everything I have is a gift from you. And so I know I'd have nothing if it wasn't for your generosity. But ultimately, I know you want me to be a giver. And so help me to remember that when I'm generous, it creates community. It defeats materialism. It strengthens my faith. It's an investment in eternity. It blesses me. It brings happiness. And most of all, it makes me like you. Would you say to him, God, I, I know I can never repay you or Jesus for what you've done for me. But I also know you're not asking me to do that. What you're asking me to do is learn to be generous by living thoughtfully, enthusiastically, giving voluntarily and cheerfully. So God, help me from this place and this time going forward, help me to live a generous life that reflects your generosity by giving back to you the things you've entrusted me and blessing others and sharing with others the things that you have given me. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. The other mic. There we go. I left my mic in the back, but I'm just going to real quick just tell you the ways that you can give and then we'll be dismissed. But um, if you felt that urging from the Holy Spirit today, maybe you want to give, you can look in your bulletin and there's information there on how you can give. You can simply, I think there's a, uh, maybe um, something you can Take a quick snap of your of the QR code that's available there. In the back of the room, there's envelopes that are uh, right there at the door on your way out. And you can also give through the website. But um, I know it's a challenge, and I encourage you to do that prayerfully. If God is, has prompted you to do so, those are the ways that you can give today.
today. I thank you for your attention. I want to invite you back next week as we celebrate the culmination of what God's been doing through our small groups and through this study on 40 Days of Community. I hope you guys have a great rest of your day and the rest of your week, and I look forward to seeing you next week. Thank you. Have a great day.